go. Sniper arrow on the guard. It strikes true. The guard drops. I move to the doorway. Detect traps. None detected. I enter. Left flank. Right. One hobgoblin facing east. Backstab. Double damage. Critical hit. He's dead. Footsteps behind the door to the north. I notch two arrows. I climb the walls to get above the door. Five goblins enter from the north. I fire. Both arrows hit. Cleave. You kill one and wound another. I drop on the last one and grapple. You got hold of him. This one is for Crouton. With his dying breath, he utters, The Dark Lord. We'll kill you all. Wait, these things can talk? I want two taken alive. I want to try something. This is Siskoid hosting another episode of the Fire and Water Podcast Network presents Let's Roll, the show where we discuss various role-playing games with guests and fellow tabletop gamers. And this second episode is a lot like the first one in that I decided to get two players from one of my favorite role-playing experiences, which in this case began with GURPS Old West. Uh, they are both new to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. But old-time players of mine. First, Daniel Put-Wellet. Hey, everyone. Super excited to be here. Big fan of the show. I've listened to every episode. <laughs> All one of it. And uh, Alexandre Bebert, or Bert Hebert. How you doing, Bert? Oh, well, you know, uh, I never thought that my first podcast would be in English talking about my old nerdy days of well playing. That's great, actually. I really like it. You know, I almost called you guys. It's like we all have French names, obviously. You know, I almost called you guys Ace and Willie J. Spade, which were your characters in this game. As long as you don't call me Virgil Spade, which was the, <laughs> was the real name of my character, but he would not let anyone know that. So, yeah, his birth name. I think I was the only one character that just in phase to call him once in a while Virgil. You actually insisted on calling him Virgil, and my character was really annoyed by it, I remember. Yeah, but you guys had like a special bond in there. You know, you it's it's like you could do that. Yeah. Yeah, he's the only one that I would let. I remember that his character, Willie J, was the only one that Ace would let him call Virgil. There was a special relationship, and even, you know, the, the character building of, of these three guys were just meant to have like this kind of relationship where it's very dysfunctional and functional at the same time. Yeah, and we'll get a, we'll have a chance to talk about that. You know, like last time uh, when I talked about Savage Worlds Evernight, I called that one of my favorite role playing experiences. This is maybe the best role playing experience that I've had. And um, well, I'm hoping that's we've talked about this before. I know the sentiment is shared across the board, isn't it? By well, like absolutely for sure. Yeah, it was my first long form role play experience that succeeded anyway. And uh, it, it'll always have a special place in my heart because of it. Prior to uh, be one of your players, I played like Dungeons and Dragons and probably one session of In Nomine. So I was not that into tabletop role-playing games. But with you guys, something was different in the air and it just clicked. And I think we, we would still be playing if we hadn't all moved away in the pre you know, today, we, you can play online pretty much seamlessly, but back then it wasn't really that easy to do. And so, uh, you know, we switched some players around and then yeah. of course, we stopped and we didn't have like critical mass. If it wasn't for that, and I feel like one day we need to finish this campaign. It felt like a story that had mysteries and that never got its end. I've been saying that for years. Like, I, you listen, you wrote a profile about me as a as a player on your uh, blog, and you described me as that guy that just won't let you finish a campaign. Uh, I'm down. I'm down 100%. If you do this again, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. This one actually needs closure. I, I had four or five years after we start playing because I went back to Quebec. I, I was still thinking about what would have happened in the game because it was so good and the, and, and the relationships between the characters were so intense and well played. I wanted it to go on and on and on and on and on. So we'll be talking about our memories, but they're pretty far away at this point. I think we started playing oh, this yeah. game in what, 2002, 2003? Yeah. It's a long time ago. Really, we I mean, we're going to share our memories, but we want to talk about GURPS Old West and about role-playing in the Western genre, which is, uh, I mean, it's available. You can do that, but mm -hmm. uh, not many people do it, I don't think. So I, I thought it was a very interesting experience. I want to preface by talking about GURPS a little bit, which was the system we used. That odd word means generic universal role-playing system. 
GURPS for short, and it was developed in the 80s by Steve Jackson Games as a system to play any genre. Uh, when the hobby started in the 70s, every game was pretty much specific to a genre, like D&D for fantasy, Traveler for space opera. And by the 80s, designers were ready to create something that they could hang many settings on. Uh, GURPS wasn't the first. It was preceded by Chaosium's uh, basic role-playing, which I don't even know anything about. It's probably the system that Call of Cthulhu works with, and Hero Games' Hero System. Uh, but it was the most commercially successful. I got into it a few years after the, the third edition uh, came out. For me, it was like 1991. It came out in 88. And I quickly started collecting the more than, eventually there were more than 100 source books before fourth edition, which I didn't like as much, debuted. Source books covering genres, historical eras, cultures, uh, and both original settings and settings from books and other sources, really all kinds to showcase what GURPS could do. And before we even talk about the system, that gets us into a conversation about something we call Shift World. And uh, this was the name of our campaign. You see we have all these books, and my holy grail was to find a way to use as many as possible within a single campaign. And I tried to get something going very early on where... I don't know, characters from different eras would be lost in time or whatnot. You know, you could you could create a character from any of those books, and that was one way to use them. But it's with you guys that I developed the more intriguing idea of Shift World, where basically the characters start in one setting, and then there's a strange quantum shift, and suddenly they're in another setting. But they've been redesigned too, and they have memories that make sense for the new setting, but also memories from the other timeline and in fact they're the only ones who do which is part of the mystery and i don't want to blow our wad about this element in the game because i do plan on having you guys back to talk about the other source books and the other settings listeners i guess you'll be able to track the story across several episodes but what did you think of this use of the GURPS collection what was the origin of the campaign you know, from the player's perspective i'm uh what we call the clueless gamer so i dug into it without even knowing what the system would do and how it worked i was just there for the fun and that's being totally honest i was the one that never remembered the rules but as i read them to prepare for this podcast i realized how complex and how detailed it was and how well made it is so now that i'm looking back i see that gerbs in itself has an incredible potential for any tabletop players. Here's what I remember from from the origins of this campaign for us. I was thinking about this looking back at the notes and I remember I have like this vague memory of all of us sitting at the pub talking about this idea and it was really just like a young idea yeah. in your head when you were saying like okay I want to try and do some multi-genre thing. I know that GURPS is something that can use a lot of different universes and I've got so many source books for it. What do you guys think about this idea of like traveling from one dimension to another in some weird way where you're like the same characters but your skills kind of modify with the dimension. So if you were good at, I don't know, like, for instance, my character was like a maverick type of character where he was really good at dexterous things like sleight of hand. So like in Old West, I was really good at gambling. But when it came to being in the future, I was like a mech pilot. That was like a hotshot mech pilot. And, and we all really got into this idea. And then we were like, okay, how do we get the characters co to connect? And we just had this idea that we would all be brothers. And then we started joking about finding a family name for us. And then we figured that, well, maybe we'll talk about this later on, but we figured Spade would be good. And it, it like Spade was a concept that itself could shift from one character to another. And we thought that was a lot of fun. So I remember that somewhat being the origin. But also I remember that we started with Old West because we had played a Dream Park adventure as cowboys. And I remember having liked that one a lot. I remember you asking us like, okay, what Dream Park games did you guys like the most? And that was one of them for me. And so that's one of the things that inspired us to go towards Old West from what I remember. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was my pitch. I, you know, it's like, why did we start with that? And I didn't have a, a real recollection. But if it's like, okay, well, you get to pick. It makes sense that I gave the players the choice. <laughs> well, drunken pub talk is always good for setting up any games. 
whatsoever. And also, a uh, little spoiler here, but if you remember correctly, the way that that Dream Park adventure ended was that our cowboys ended up having to work together to drive a giant robot to beat the last villain of the adventure. Correct. And so eventually we had to be driving Mecha. That, that makes sense. And also, I know you're a big anime freak, or you were, or, you know, a big fan of it. We were always going to do GURPS Mecha at some point, and we'll, we'll get to talk about this in a future episode, probably. So a quick look at the system before we go forward. GURPS features a point-by system, which uh, Steve Jackson was, the I think, the first to develop uh, pre-GURPS. It only uses six-sided dice with which you make success rolls. You roll three dice to roll under your attribute or skill. And most games have a roll above mechanic. So I remember a lot of changing gears when we played this. Yeah. Remember this? I, I I believe there's a stigma for any player that played like Dungeons and Dragons prior to playing GURPS that when you roll the dice, you want to do the best you know, outcome ever. And when you play GURPS, you have to go under. You don't understand why, but you have the whole feeling that if you draw three sixes, you would be like over the top of everything, but actually you'd fail. And that as a player just tortured my gaming senses. <laughs> but it was brilliant though, because the higher your skill set was, the less chances you, you were to make a mistake. Some of the subtleties of the rules... Uh, we'll get into as we discuss our experiences, but I'll just say that for now, unlike D&D, GURPS had no levels. You put your experience points directly into adding to your character generation, your character evolution, and there were no classes or set professions because that, would, that wouldn't be universal. Uh, your characters were an ensemble of skills and advantages and could be anything within the parameters of the points you had to create the character. And of course, what was relevant to that setting, every source book gave you different advantages. And for you three, originally at least, that was GURPS Old West. You already told us how you remember that why we started with that. I think it made sense. I think it made sense to start with that because everybody knows the tropes of a Western. You know, it's not like having to learn a whole world. We all know Westerns from movies and TV, from playing in the schoolyard. We know what that's kind of like. So it was kind of easy in that way to like just, we'll have to learn the rules. So let's not have to learn a setting at the same time. And if I look at the book... I use like the second edition of it. It has the whole history of the Old West, types of Westerns, types of campaigns you might want to run. There's a good chunk of the book that's about uh, native cultures, native magic. So it, if you wanted to do a little bit of a, give it a little, I guess, fantasy spin or like have the magic of the shaman, you could do so. And we did so. Even the bestiary here isn't just like wild animals. There are some native legends, jackalopes and that kind of stuff in there. And one of the ways that we evoked the setting was through music. That was actually the main attraction because it put some glue on everything we did on and off the game. And off the game is a big thing here because I remember that you as a game master actually like made a soundtrack for every shift and we would receive a copy of a CD with all of these tracks. And I remember listening to these CDs in my car all the time. And so some of these songs actually became stuck in the back of my head and I can still kind of sing them. And actually I have been for the past week. So yeah, absolutely. The music was a big part. And also it helped establish this idea because the other thing you were going for, I think, was this idea that we were playing through a sort of TV series format, a kind of episodic long form TV show and adding the music like there was an intro music at the start of every session and there was, you know, music at various important parts of the game. And it really put that much extra oomph, like a, a good feel to the story itself. It really gave it shape and gave it color. And after that, you know, uh, as for myself, the, the CDs you made, the mixtapes you made are actually destroyed by use <laughs> because I listened to them so many times. But also we came as players to identify ourselves with the songs that you provided for our characters and I remember I also use one actually as one of my uh, referee team entrance. 
for improv because I was so attached to the song and I loved it so much. I wanted to keep it for myself. It was, I, I can't believe I was doing that back then. Like today, I have like a laptop next to the table and I can find any YouTube or, you know, to play the tunes and maybe have them set up. It's so easy. <laughs> But back then... <laughs> You were very resourceful back then. You had access to a lot. Of well, yeah, I was working at the French CBC, so I had access to a lot of archive material, a lot of, but you still had to find it and then burn it onto a CD. And it wasn't obvious to do this. Well, you also had 10 less podcasts, three less blogs, four less TV <laughs> shows per day to watch. <laughs> so you had more time. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, so I would put them on my, my computer, obviously, and then I would put them on the on those CDs. And it was like, like each CD, I only released the CD once we were past that point. But I would have to find themes Not just for the show, like the beginning of the show, but for each of the characters, all the three characters. And there might be themes for the villain or for the love interest and that they have their own Even stuff. for the, the, the booklet and, the, and the, the CD cover and everything, it was everything all dressed over the top. And it was just the perfect thing to have after each session. I, I, I'm really grateful for that, actually. You know, the players then have something to remember the game by. And if people are wondering, well, I, how can I get that, that disc? Well, today, it's so easy. <laughs> During the week, Dan went and made a playlist on YouTube with all the songs. And the songs that were missing, we put on there ourselves. So I'll put that, that link to the playlist, the Old West playlist, in the show notes. So if you want to have a... There's a lot of, like, French songs in there. <laughs> It was, in a way, we were sort of going for how we consumed Westerns as kids, like the spaghetti Westerns, you know, with French dub on it. There were a lot of that. There's, like, a way of speaking, it seems. Like, the actors that were doing those dubs spoke in a certain way, and I know I used those voices, you know, when I was doing NPCs. Like a big Back to the Future tree vibe, but dubbed in <laughs> French. <laughs> so some of those songs are going to be, for English language listeners, are going to be, what, are, what is this song? But if you like discovering music, that was one of my things at the French CBC, was programming music. So I like to discover new music and... And those songs kind of reflect that. Today, it's I do it all with YouTube, but back then, you had to do it the old-fashioned way. Let's talk about character generation then, because since they all had their own themes, each of the Spade brothers were very different. Let's talk about the one that isn't here. Etienne, who's the other player, uh, played Jonathan Spade. He was the older brother. His backstory was a little complicated, where your parents lost him in the wilderness, I guess, and he was raised, or they left him with a tribe of Cheyenne, and he was raised by them, and under the tutelage of the shaman there. So he had a little bit of magic, and we knew that going into Shift World, that would mean he'd have, like, this side culture to him every time. Whatever it may be in whatever setting, he would have a little bit of that tinge of another culture, and he might have a little bit, you know, magical resources or whatever that means in other settings. And Etienne was playing to type. He is the player that always played, like, the valorous kind of hero, but also the, the guy that's... Uh, the long-suffering hero where everybody's kind of on his back. He's too honorable to say anything or that kind of stuff. So I think Jonathan was very much the kind of character that Etienne always played. And then there's like the younger brother. The younger brother was you, Dan, put Ace Spade. So people can already see there's a pun there. And I think all your horses had cards. My horse was called Treff, which is the French word for clubs. Yeah, so Clover, yeah. There was a horse named Jack And uh, Will, Willie J, you had a horse called Diamond. So there you go. So you, you were playing with the card idea. And also, I like the idea that it's the shifting of the worlds was kind of the wild card. And I probably that played into it as well. So let's talk about Ace. Present us your character. What was the, the thought behind this? Yeah, well, go Ace ahead, was... Virgil. <laughs> Ace, not Virgil, was the <laughs> youngest brother. And he was the youngest when the parents died. Because, spoilers, the parents are dead when we start the game. I don't know if we mentioned that. So he was the youngest when the parents died. And because of that, he went through his teenage years pretty much alone, being raised by his older brother, Willie J, which Bert will present to us next. So basically, Ace, I, I interpreted from the start, kind of had this independent way of thinking and kind of didn't like to take orders and was kind of like the wild card. I remember basing him a lot on the character Maverick from the movie Maverick that I had seen not too long before we started playing. And it just, I really liked the character. I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. 
do. Definitely, he was very impulsive. He was very brash. He did not like being told what to do. And um, we played with that. It was very much in opposition to Jonathan's character. When uh, John came back, the older brother, when he came back to be part of the family, Ace had a really bad reaction to it and was not happy with the older brother's return, especially since Ace was kind of living the outlaw kind of life and John was coming in to be a sheriff. So yeah, that was basically Ace. He was just a rebel mm-hmm. of all kinds. Would you say that that's kind of your character type normally? I think so. I think it has been ever since I played Ace. I think before Ace, I always tried to play the dark brooding character, but never really managed to play it well. But ever since playing Ace, I just fell in love with playing the rebellious maverick type character. And I think every character I've played since, I've always tried to model him on Ace a little bit. Let's talk about Willie J. He's the middle brother and a very different character. Uh, Totally. Well, first thing you have to know about Willie G is that he was the mama's boy, you know, and what was not really all the way around. I don't think his mom saw him as the mama's boy, but still, I remember playing him as the guy that misses his parents a lot and, and that had to take responsibilities for his younger brother and maintaining a form of life for him while being a total idiot. And um, (laughs) I say that in a very nice way. I based uh, Willie J. It won't resonate to many of our listeners today, but uh, I kind of see him as a a famous uh, French television character named Tsikun in uh, the series Le Temps d'une Paix, which was, uh, you know, the dumb brother that we have to take care of, but that he had to step up his game so he could take care of the family and be like the cement of the family relation. And that's what Willie J was trying to do while, you know, trying to uh, have a living. Yeah, you had two characters at odds. The older and the younger brother were at odds. And then Willie was just like despondent. You wanted that family unit, uh-huh. wanted those brothers to be friends. Yeah, I was always stopping, you know, the the, the disputes and the, uh, Every feud that we could have between brothers, I was the one trying to calm down everything, and sometimes to my own demise. Like, we had a sheriff, we had the gambler, and in the middle was uh, you, the prospector, who mined the family land, which... It played into the plot as well. But so you would be like the techie character that when kind of dumb, socially awkward. Let's let's call him that. He was very so- socially awkward, body odor problems. It says here, ugly. You you would not want to hang out with Willie J because, you know, he was so socially awkward, which in a way I personally was and still am because, you know, I have a weird sense of humor and, and I transpose that to Willie J a lot in a way. That became a side of me, you know, this silly side of me that just came out. And I let it play after that. It was so fun to do. I've played with you in other games as well. And I'd say part of your style is the kind of caricature over playing an element that would be in an improv Mm -hmm. would be funny for three minutes. In long form role playing, sometimes I question your choices, but I have to, I owe you an apology. I've been owing you an apology for like 15 years. (laughs) Wow. And here it is. (laughs) See, when I talked about this campaign to other people, uh, I would sometimes say, oh, yeah, Bert would play. The guy who took a phobia of water. Well, yeah, the water phobia, like he would be afraid of a glass of water. He would be afraid to take a shower. It was like, to me, it was ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, that's not what aquaphobia is. It causes disease, man. I'm looking at the sheet here and he does not have a phobia of water. He has a delusion that he believes water carries disease. So all your behavior made sense. You would not drink water. You wouldn't. Alcohol is fine. You know, it's it's some disinfectant, you know. My bad. (laughs) I've been telling this story for years and uh, it's not even true. That's my apology to you. (laughs) Well, you know, as a clueless gamer, I kind of realize now what I did. But back in the day, you know, I was just doing me. Me being myself. So so apology accepted, but there was no need for it. <laughs> like I've said before, I only play with or almost only play with improv players. So obviously there's going to be a lot of humor at the table. And sometimes I've felt, and you're not the only person, uh, I felt that, okay, like that character is way too, not necessarily viable as 
a role-playing character because there's like one joke and that gets repeated over and over and it gets tiring. So I, I've played with different players who've, who've gone too far. But I think Willie J, at first I was afraid was going to go too far. But eventually, I think if, if this were a TV show, that would be the character that would be the one that, that people would really warm to. And let me Is add that. the miracle of the show? Yeah. yeah. Technically, did I do that? But now we're talking about Old West. But when we we'll get to other episodes, other other settings, I really remember you getting into it, into my stupidity, and just go with the flow. And sometimes it gave us like the most funny and still relatable moments in the in the game. So so yeah yeah, I really enjoyed playing that character because it developed very well in. The surroundings. I want to talk a little bit about how characters are made in GURPS, uh, if you remember anything at all. But uh, GURPS is known as having a bit of crunch to it. Mostly, I think, because each source book adds more and more options. So it becomes a bit, I'll say, I'll use the word modular. There's like a basic, you don't have to use everything and you can't use everything. But because it's it's modular, you might have an impression that there's too many options, that it is so granular. Uh, so, for example, and we don't have Etienne to talk about Jonathan here, but GURPS offers several magic systems depending on the setting. It can't always work the same way, so uh, GURPS has different modules, let's say, of magic. So for native magic, it's very ritualistic. Uh, they're not casting fireballs or, you know, it's not, it's not the kind of magic that there is. It's more of a spiritual nature sense and in dreams and that kind of thing. There's always a bit of, of a learning curve when you change settings. And navigating all those options uh, is part of the game. So was Old West simple enough for you guys? Or do you remember having these ideas of what you wanted to do? And was it easy to do? I'm having a hard time remembering specifically the character creation process for Old West. All I do remember is like, all right, I'm into this Maverick character. I want to be able to do sleight of hand. I don't know if I even knew that it was called sleight of hand. I was just describing to you, I want to be able to do magic tricks with card. And you're like, okay, that's sleight of hand. I remember like with the advantages, disadvantages and quirks, that's where you were building your character in GURPS. Once we got into those, I felt like it was really easy actually to start finding how to flesh out the rest of the character. But if you start with advantages and disadvantages, I think it really becomes easier. Because you only start with 100 points. That's one of the things that I think some people have a problem with. 100 points is what heroes have to build their characters. Normal people, you know, extras would be built around 25 points or so. But that's still very human compared to most games. I think, you know, GURPS was very much more grounded. Was that a problem? Is that like, oh, well, like my character isn't as, I don't know, doesn't have as much pizzazz as I would want it to have? No, I definitely felt like my character was really powerful, actually. I remember you said like 100 points, and I was like, I don't know what that means. But <laughs> then then I put the points into the stats, and I looked at them. And I was just looking at my character sheet again. I started out with my lowest skill being a 12. That's like 74% chance of success. So we basically, we were always getting all of our characters to do anything we wanted to. So it felt definitely very heroic and cinematic. And also, just put all your points in IQ index, and then all your skills are high. <laughs> That's true. And you could buy as many as 40 points of disadvantages. So, yes, you have disadvantages, but basically you're built on 140 points, or really 145 points, because there are five points which are five quirks, which are obligatory. And this is really where you differentiate your character and how the game encourages role-playing, because these don't have any function in the game except to force you to have have personality traits. I, I have to agree that uh, advantages and disadvantages are the first thing that you must look at when you you start a character in GURPS because it settles everything else. You know, because if you take Willie J for for example, he's a prospector. So bad smell, okay, delusion, okay, pyromania. Well, yeah, of course, you know, he plays with explosive. It makes sense. So so when you take these and add those quirks that comes with it, it just puts you in the right direction right from the start. You always have fun with the quirks. I'm looking at your character sheets here. And Ace had uh, always practicing sleight of hand. 
insist on being called ace. I mean, these are all traits that you re-mentioned today. Yeah, exactly. We started the conversation off talking about one of my quirks. This is like an improv thing, though, right? You guys discussed this in episode one. Like, all improv players want to create their characters around disadvantages. <laughs> I love to perform magic tricks. Keeps a diary. That was interesting. And a true ladies' man, which I always held against you. <laughs> I, I've gone on record before as saying I dislike having to play romantic scenes with players. It just makes me feel awkward. And I <laughs> insist on playing them. <laughs> <laughs> and the worst part is my character, Willie G, which is the most awkward person with women, would always try to score anyway. But it was epic fails time after time after time. <laughs> It was so funny. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your quirks. Likes to talk about his shack. That's yeah. uh, that's romantic. Yeah. Uh, awkward with women was the second one, so it was built in. Cannot refuse a drinking contest. You all had some sort of... Uh, I, I, feel, I feel like everybody had like a, a substance abuse problem. I believe all three brothers, we had something like that. Just probably the bar talk that we had to prior to the game just led to that quirk. And it's part of the Western tropes, yeah. you know. Always picks on his brothers and must brush his horse once a week. Those were yours. And then it's about integrating that and making it part of a, a greater personality, I guess. Yeah, it developed over time. But these were the base, you know, because it was the first time for everybody that for us to play that system, to play GURPS. The only thing that we could fall on was our role-playing skills. So we would go, and it would be our go-to sheet just to make sure that it would make sense to the story and and everything else around. So this actually made what everything was awesome about Shift World. It's because we give ourselves some you know, directions to, to go through. And one of the things that I decided early on to make those shifts make sense, you know, have a, a, a like a value was to not have this being a, a picaresque, not have the characters just moving from story to story, from town to town, but to create a place where they would live that we could develop. And then when there's a shift, and this was all part of the shift world thing, when there was a shift, you were still there, but everything had changed but was still that place. So we created a town called Paradise, Wyoming. And this was a small frontier town. Basically, in any shift, Paradise was the town, was the base, was the spaceship, whatever it would be. You know, Paradise was always home base. And that allowed me to create a cast of characters. So we had Ace's villain uh, was called Oily Pete. And uh, and there was like a, lar a bigger villain who grew more and more in importance called Jeremiah Dark. So I guess he pretty much, it was obvious he was going to be a villain <laughs> from birth. And then uh, Simone, who was the love interest for all three guys, really Ace's love interest. But all three guys are sort of interested in her at the beginning. Lupita, who was a uh, Mexican woman who entered the story a bit later and uh, might have been Willie J's love interest. She, you know, she was more his type, I guess. I had no chance with Simone anyway. Yeah. So what do you remember about the, the this world that we created? The scene is so easy to put in our minds, but the, the town would look different in each other's minds. But still, it was an Old West classic movie type of town you know you had the saloon you had the bank you had it had everything we felt at the right place as a character when we went into town we exactly knew where to kind of go or to see because we had knowledge of the people of those npcs and what they were doing i i as the middleman, as Willie J, I, I kind of knew everybody around and i was trying to sell things down between my brothers but also i was you know, trying to, to get the best outcome for the family with the non-playing characters. And that setup was really well made for us to play around. I definitely have fond memories of like Oily Pete and Simone Lorquet because I feel like they motivated a lot of Ace's decisions. Like I still, you know how memories tend to be stronger when there are emotions associated with them? I remember the emotion that I had when I found out later on that Simone might be dead or the emotion that I had when Ace pulled the trigger to try and kill Oily Pete. Like, I remember those moments. So those characters were definitely really important to me. Wow. <laughs> Obviously, I was also playing them as Oily Pete was a caricature. I freely admit it. <laughs> it was just like this. Uh, he was oily. That's what he was, you know, sort of lone shark type character in, in this 
portion of the game. Uh, and then you had Jeremiah Dark, who's like the southern gentleman. Nothing stuck to him. I guess he was oily too. He was obviously the villain. He had a, re- a past relationship with your guys' parents. And as the story progressed, you know, you're finding out that there is a link that maybe he's linked to your parents' deaths, but untouchable. There were plenty of other characters, you know, the sheriff, his deputy. They all had different relationships with each of the brothers. You were creating that dynamic between three brothers. It was like three very intimately linked characters. They're not just like these this random group of dungeon delvers, you know. It's like they, they really did have an interconnectedness from the beginning. Uh, and then it was about creating that tapestry of relationships. And I remember one of the sessions, at least, I mean, during Old West, I probably did it with the other shifts as well. But in Old West, I remember vividly doing a completely improvised session. I already knew the stats of everyone in the town. It was really just sitting there and saying... What do you want to do today? Really? Yeah, I was impressed looking at your notes at how few notes you actually have for any sessions, really. Like, it seemed like a lot of what you were doing was improvised. And that um, surprises me because the games felt definitely very real to me. I think it was real because it was improvised. Mm. Usually, I'm that guy. I've got so many books, so many adventure modules, so many role-playing magazines. I'm just going to poach everything I can from those sources, adapt them. So there's like one adventure I, that I, I pointed you to. It's in Pyramid Magazine, so that's online. Uh, a story called Badlands, which has the characters having dreams about wolves and native games and all this sorts of stuff. Lupita was a character in that that grew into something more. But that pre-published adventure for GURPS Old West, I adapted, I changed it. Like mine doesn't have any zombies in it. <laughs> <laughs> for, for one thing, but the story is essentially the same. So I adapted that and I do that all the time. I do that mostly, I'd say. I steal poach from everything. But that one adventure was, was basically the end of our time in the Old West. The rest was a few notes, try to set up these characters, try to set up the mystery of why, at that point, those characters have never shifted. It's not a shift world story. It's an Old West story. And I'm just like, okay, what tropes do I want to bring in? What There's an attack on the bank. There's this, there's that. But most of it was, let's just see these characters breathe. The conflict between you guys was more interesting than any kind of adventure module plot. You know, a plot that puts you through your paces. Let's just have like this little event happen. But mostly it was about the brothers interacting and interacting with the cast members. You know, like Simone was made to be a love interest She's basically Dana Delaney in Tombstone, you know, she just shows up at the beginning of the thing uh, and uh, goes to the, the theater house. She's a songstress and whatnot. That really, I think, gave Ace his direction. Like that became a big focus for Ace, trying to get this girl or get to know this girl who was didn't really want to be with any of the boys. And each person kind of had that to latch onto, one character in the town. or Yeah, I didn't feel like I needed to overplot the thing. I think it speaks a lot to the fact that we've been talking about this game for like half an hour, and we've mentioned basically zero plot points. <laughs> it hasn't been about the narrative at all. This game was like almost 100% about character development, and like everything just wrapped itself around these three characters and their relationship to each other. And still, the main plot of shift world haunts me today because i still don't know how it ends and this is where i want to revisit this world one day just to you know just to see where it goes because yes we had a wonderful chemistry around the table and it was very fun to play but we were still advancing in the story and that's where the magic happened because it was so you know emotionally involving it was so fun to play with, with you guys. And then we had the story that was very well written some way, somehow, uh, because it was, like we told, cinematic. It was televisual in some way. So I was looking forward to a new episode every time. It was character-based and then mystery-based, a lot like TV today. <laughs> there, you know, there's a lot of this unfolding conspiracy kind of stuff, which I hate. On TV, it's become... But loved in this game. <laughs> it's so cliche now. It is, but, it is, I agree. But yeah, back then, I mean, I, I don't know what the rules were, what we were watching, but the conspiracy was Jeremiah Dark obviously had something 
on you guys. And uh, he knew more than he said. But at this point, like I said, you haven't even shifted. It is purely an Old West thing. And it's not to say that just because it's character-based, there wasn't any excitement. Because I want you to tell the story of the day you discovered how lethal guns were in GURPS. <laughs> yeah. We basically, we had only played like Dream Park before that. And like Dream Park, you get like, I don't know, 10% of your HP down in one hit, maybe like 20%. But like GURPS, I remember our first gunfight and the first one of us who got shot. And after like one bullet, he was basically down and unconscious. And we, our jaws kind of all dropped because we were like, oh, this is how it's going to be. Okay. Where, how many points did I put into dodge? How does this work? Uh, yeah, it was it was quite the difference from our usual system. And I think it made us think a little more strategically about how we approach combat. We didn't draw as much as we would have have if, if it wasn't for that particular time in the game where, oh my God, okay, somebody could leave the adventure prior to, you know, just finish the first episode or something. It was very, very, it, it was stressful, actually. Oh, you put so much effort into building these characters yeah. and the dynamics between them. And then the GM suddenly informs you that uh, your character might die in any kind of battle. So, And it was going so well, I, I would have been pissed if I was wounded by a gunshot. Yeah, I think it was Jonathan w was hit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. maybe that's why I don't remember caring as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he was dead to us. Um, well, here's how I remember the the sort of jaw drop moment. And I, I don't know if, if I like, like created a legend in my mind, but <laughs> it was sort of um, like Willie J had a shotgun and shotguns do massive damage, 30 to 40 points or something like that. The shotgun rang out, cut a guy in half, yeah. roll, and here's the damage. And the number was in the tens, you know. And then everybody kind of looked at their character sheets at how many hit points are in GURPS, it's health, how much health they had. And, you know, that damage total was way above what anyone could, in character generation, have gotten as far as hit points. It was scary. In many games, you know, you could jump on a grenade and survive. You know, the, like the damage and the, the hit points that you eventually accumulate are disproportionate. They're not realistic. But I think that imminent danger really helps appreciate the game even more. Because, like, nothing's more boring than playing a game where you know for sure what the outcome's going to be. This idea that, like, oh, no, by the way, your character might die any time now. I don't care how much time you put into building it. I'm, I might kill this character or the system might, whatever. It just it makes you appreciate every moment in the game that much more. Every moment you do have... It was very. Uh, it was a pivot in the, the way we played our character because we we so realized that it could be shortened at any time. We didn't want it to end, so we were so cautious. Recklessness was not an option. I think that's part of the reason it became so character based in a way. Once you realize that getting into actions combat was so dangerous, then you're finding other ways to get you know <laughs> to get in and out of situations. Where in other games, it's really about attrition. And uh, and then there are other games that work with stunned and wound levels, where it's sort of more about being out of breath and that kind of thing. But with GURPS, you were looking for ways not to be in, in a fight, or at least not in a, in a fair fight. <laughs> I don't know about Virgil, but I always was scared that Virgil could cut his wrist with a card trick. You know, it was that bad sometimes. Speaking of card tricks... I just magically remembered one of my favorite moments in Old West was you had set up. I don't know if this was our first session because I remember like my first scene was I'm gambling at a poker table and I'm using Willie J to distract people and stuff. I had predicted that you as a GM who likes to use so many props, I predicted that you would actually have cards on the table for us to simulate this poker game. And so I had brought my own deck that I was hiding in my pocket and you distributed the cards. And while you were looking away, I changed my hand so that when you made me reveal the cards, you were surprised yourself by the hand that I put on the table. I was basically like, hey, yeah, my character does sleight of hand. He changed the hand. <laughs> I remember that was like one of my favorite moments. That's probably very early on because I remember the end, or according to my notes, I say I remember, uh, according to my notes, like the, the motion during the last part of the Old West piece was you wanting to go to this 
poker competition. Big poker tournament in another town out in Casper. Yeah, but the shift happened before we got there, right? That's what happened? Right. And then yeah. it became, instead of poker, it became something else, which we'll talk about in a later date. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great moment. And as a GM, you have to be open to all that stuff. You know, you have to, you brought a prop, somebody else brought a counter prop. <laughs> you're, you're getting an insight into our minds as role players here where there's a lot of that in, in you put. I know what you're going to do, but you know what I'm going to do first. That kind of stuff where we've, we play together so much that you, you're sort of trying to guess where I'm going with it and, and use that to your advantage, which, which means that you are just as much a rascal as the character you're playing. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. <laughs> oh, you were really into it. Well, I am really into any RPG I get into. I, I'm a very passionate person when it comes to this stuff. But this one in particular, I remember we were talking about it so much. I remember having like these kind of solo moments. I had this moment and you played the music on and I was really sad about our parents and I became very emotional talking about mom something like that it was just bursts of storytelling that wasn't necessary to the the whole plot but that was just there because we had that kind of chemistry and i remember doing that speech just trying to get a bond between john and ace a complicated dysfunctional fun way to play for me till today it's the best RPG gaming experience I had. Playing brothers, which is a different dynamic to decide to play that. Did that change your relationships between one another? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Bert and I knew each other before playing this game, but we weren't as close as we became because of this game. Like this idea that we were brothers and we were looking out for each other kind of like overflew out of our gaming sessions and just into our real life. Like we started calling each other bro as a joke because of this game. And we just actually became like brothers. Like Bert ended up being my best man at my wedding. So yeah. Yeah. And seeing each other, even though uh, there was some distance and we always managed until a few years ago to find a way to see each other from time to time, but uh, left New Brunswick and, It was like that guy that watches wrestling and says, that's still real to me, damn it. You know, and and that was that kind of bond that we had. And now I want every one of my characters in gaming sessions to have that. Like, if there's one thing I learned from playing Shift World, it's when you start playing in a tabletop RPG, every player has this focus on what is my character going to be. But really, it should be about what is their character going to be? How are our characters linked together? I feel like players should give as much interest and as much passion into the other player characters as they do their own, because that is where the magic was for me in this campaign. I didn't care about my character more than I did the other ones. I cared about every character and I was super interested and invested in their story as much as mine. Yeah, we thought as a unit, very much like a family cell. It, it, it was that. We played literally thinking as we were brothers in real life. That was really the key to make this unique as a game playing experience. I guess. Yeah, unique is the key word here because I've been chasing that ever since in other gaming groups and I've never been able to find anything. <laughs> never. Not even close. Chasing the dragon. That actually, the, you created a wonderful, beautiful dragon that nobody will ever see again unless we play next week. <laughs> next week. Uh, one last question, I guess, is, and I have my own answer to that, but like obviously the whole idea was to play with GURPS and other books and, and you know, character creation every time and that kind of stuff but could we in your opinions have stayed forever in the old west could this have been gurps old west for months years on end it's hard for me to answer that because i have such a love for the idea of the shifts that come afterwards and shifting but definitely the setting for me of old west was a great place to start and i loved being in that setting i think there's absolutely potential like we played old west for multiple sessions and we haven't even done a train heist yet so there's there's a lot more potential there for sure i i do agree because the shift world concept was so appealing that visiting other worlds was a nice setup but yes old west we could have done 10 more sessions easily, easily. It was so iconic the way it was set. 
you know, the characters were there, the scenery was there, the reality of it, because we talked about the, you know, the gunshot wounds uh, and everything. So, so yes, we, we could have played more sessions, but all in all, that was just one part of the episode that is Shift World. And I wouldn't go back one day because the other episode, the other shifts were unique in their own way also. And I enjoyed every second of it. I think what really works for Old West, like I think if you're going to try and make an Old West campaign, well, there's a few ways of doing it. But I think this idea that we had a very solid base like Paradise Wyoming with all of these characters really helps because the Old West is a lot about these small towns that you end up living in for like your whole life and you know everybody in the town until it becomes a ghost town kind of thing. That idea would be really interesting to explore. And if you're going more on a campaign where you have like maybe one or two player characters, then I think a kind of nomad troop of cowboys or something could also be a really interesting idea to explore. What is fun with Old West is that life expectancy in the Old West was not that long. So so you couldn't do like a three-year session. <laughs> you know, some way, somehow, your character will die of something. You know, if it's not to say a snake bite, it would be like dehydration or being stranded in the desert or something. So, so there were always be a kind of closure it would be very playable and for a game master to play that kind of game it would be that long but it could be extended to some point and also people stop playing sword and fantasy only sword and sorcery okay there are <laughs> other genres yeah. explore them there's so much fun to try different types of, of genres i was very impressed by old west you know, i've seen a lot of westerns Uh, especially since then, I'd say. At the time, I knew about the Western genre as much as anyone, you know, just like because it's part of pop culture. So, of course, I, we started there and I thought, well, we're going to move away from it. I don't have to, to keep living in this world. But to me, it was so, I, I don't know, I felt like, well, there's so many possibilities here. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting it to be so rich and so real. And so, and when we're, I'm thinking about all the other GURPS source books that we used through that period, like the early ones are probably the ones I best remember. They were more evocative or I, we, I don't know, I was, maybe my brain was spinning around a lot more because we were creating it. It was the very beginning, but Old West, I see the scenes. I see images from that fake series. Obviously, you guys are dressed as cowboys. It's not, they're not characters played by anyone else. They're, they haven't been cast by anyone. They're you three in the scenes. But you know that I thought one day that the whole shift world concept was sellable to a producer somewhere, somehow, because it was so cinematic the way we played and the way it was written by us by playing but also with the, the the plot twist it would be something i would watch on tv or on a silver screen copyright me us <laughs> of course <laughs> to me yeah old west was a surprise it was something like yeah everybody knows the trope so well this is very very easy to run and to imagine stories for and then it's all about the characters or else it feels like strung up cliches because those tropes are cliches But they're not cliches if, you know, the characters are living through them, if you're creating dynamics between the characters. Uh, so that was Girls Old West. I want to thank my guests, Ace and Willie, or as they are sometimes, only sometimes known, Put and Beber or Dan and Bert. <laughs> We have so many names. So many names. I'll let you guys go back to the ranch and uh, I'll be back after the break with Game Master advice and your feedback on our previous episode. Thanks, boys. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much. <laughs> Do you think of yourself primarily as a singer or as a poet? Well, I think of myself more as a song and dance man, you know. <laughs> you may call him Alias. You may call him Lucky Wilbur. You may call him Bobby. You may call him Zimmy. But the world calls him Bob Dylan. It's Pod Dylan, the only podcast dedicated to celebrating the work of Bob Dylan. Pod Dylan, hosted by the freewheeling Rob Kelly and a roster of special guests, examines Bob Dylan's discography one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Pod Dylan is available weekly at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. If 
I were Dungeon Master, I'd have it made. What an interesting proposition. Very well, I shall give you all my power to use as you will. And now, let's roll's Game Master Advice column. Let's talk about improvisation and planification. I did mention during the episode that there were some sessions here that were completely improvised, or mostly improvised. Game masters are often praised and themselves moan about the preparation. You know, players need just come to the gaming session, but GMs, they got all the work to do beforehand. Or do they? It really depends on a number of factors. I personally run the gamut. I've set up you know, elaborate scenarios, written scene by scene for all probable eventualities. I've taken notes as I read and adapted prefab adventure modules. I've drawn maps. I've made props. I've also tried improvising entire sessions. You just start play with a single question. Okay, what do you want to do? And you take off from there. Uh, obviously, the prepared approach feels safest. But there's something extremely pleasurable in flying by the seat of your pants, hands-free. But it's not for every game. Game complexity is one factor that should be taken into account. While in some games, it's really easy to stat up an opponent on the fly. Others require a steadier balancing act, and perhaps too much diving into rulebooks to truly support the flow of an improvised session. My best improvised experience was with GURPS, which shows it's possible, but I did either have stats for possible characters on hand, or else pulled books that featured prefab characters and used their stats as quick guidelines. You can always stat the character up properly after play. More important, I think, is the focus of the game. Some games are about plot, a dungeon delve, a detective investigation, and these do require some prep if they're going to be coherent. Even if a real maverick could definitely pull it off, I, I, I believe that. If the focus is principally on character interaction, improvisation becomes much easier, particularly so in sedentary games that use a single location and cast of NPCs. When asked what they want to do, the players will have those touchstones to orient them, and the GM will too, building on what's gone before, not exactly inventing a whole world without forethought. But of course, a, the GM has forethought. A game may be improvised, but the GM has been thinking about this game and the game world all week, as have the players who are granted additional agency when such an approach is taken. What do you want to do could have any answer, but the group is really building the story together. It's not just the GM's affair. Ultimately, a mix of the two approaches is probably best. Improvise where you can, but also give the players big set pieces that you did in fact prepare. You might spend entire sessions without a roadmap, interacting with NPCs, building the relationships between PCs, hinting at what might be prepared over the horizon. And then suddenly there's a proper mission. Someone asks for help and the hero's journey to that dank cave where fate, and that's you, has something in store for them. Point is, when you work without a net, you allow the players and the world to breathe and perhaps inspire the next big thing. And it gives the GM more time, which is always at a premium, to prepare the bits that need preparation. The balancing act between character and plot is usually done over the course of a single session, and guess what? Character usually loses out the plot. Play that over the course of several sessions, and you're giving character more of a shot. Look, it led to one of my most satisfying gaming experiences. So, now, I don't want to discredit the usefulness of preparation. Maybe I, I do, but I what I really mean is... I want to discredit over-preparation. As GMs, we can sometimes do too much planning, which can lead to frustration for the players. They call it railroading. And for the GM, elements, you know, left unused. So if I challenge myself to, uh, you know, champion the opposite side of the coin, what is worthwhile planning? And what's a waste of your time? I think there's one hard and fast rule, essentially. If it's not going to be used... Don't spend time on it. The rest of my advice really just trickles down from that one rule. Maps, for example. GMs love their maps, but maps don't matter unless there's an element of exploration in the scenario. If your heroes live in a city and need to get to City Hall, then guess what? They just do. A fight in a hotel lobby only needs the environment to be described, and unless the game's mechanics require measured distances and miniatures, really doesn't need to be a full diagram. I mean, I get it. We likely all cut our teeth on dungeon crawls. That's where we picked up the habit, and it's kind of a plot sheet in a way. It's a map in lieu of a scenario. The scenario is simply grind through this space. Explore, kill, loot, next room. And while there's some joy to be gotten from that, 
It's not the be-all and end-all of role-playing plotting. Ensuring a rhythm is important. You may want to plan out your encounters in such a way as to provide both action and role-playing opportunities for different types of players, but also to give a session variety. Planning a quick rundown of your scenario is quick and easy, and it provides a solid structure on which to add details. Uh, start with a hook, then try to alternate action, which is fights, chases, physical obstacles, and non-action. Deduction, social interactions, puzzles maybe. Switch between these beats and make a note of the exact type of action, non-action moment it provides. And maybe even the time that any of these might take. At a glance, you'll see you've got too many fights, for example, and either streamline the build-up to the level boss or switch something to a chase instead. Or there's too little action which will get boring for the player who doesn't really get involved in puzzle solving. Once you got the balance right, you can hang things on that on that tree. The setup is important, but the resolution isn't. What hooks the players in, what events occur without their agency, the villain's plot, what has gone before, uh, the fact that an earthquake hits no matter what, that's all worthy of your attention. Once the players are thrown into the action, however, there's no way to plan for every possible contingency. So having an idea of what could happen and having a cursory idea of how NPCs would handle it is all you really need. One of my favorite moments uh, ever is one where my Doctor Who RPG players beat siren-like aliens by countering their song's frequency with Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody played loudly from a boosted iPod. I set up the circumstances in the first part of the adventure, but I let the players take the lead in the second half, and at that point, simply, you know, educating difficulty numbers for their own solutions. Memorable, cooperative moments ensued. Concentrating on the setup rather than the climax has the dual advantage of not railroading the players and reducing the GM's frustration when all his best ideas become the road not taken. Key NPCs are, in fact, more important to pre-prep than plot elements. If you know who your villain and your allies are, you can drop them into any circumstance and make choices for them. They're loaded with a set of attitudes. They aren't programmed robots that follow a specific course and no other. If they are, then the players should be able to exploit that. But you don't want to be railroading the players so they conform to what your villain is actually prepared to do. And again, you don't need to write entire biographies of these characters, just the details needed to play them. Having quick stats on hand is useful for when players decide to interact with a random character, but stats aren't always needed. They want to talk to a store owner? He only needs a quick personality and maybe a social type attribute if you're going to convince him of something or a, or other. In, in fact, you only need stats if there's going to be a conflict of some kind. What if you don't prepare for something and it comes up? Well, that's when you improvise. But also take notes in case players want to return to that improvised NPC or location. One session is really the preparation for the next. We call that a continuing story. Or, in our line of work, a campaign. And while a campaign is not a novel and you don't need all that background stuff, you're not Tolkien... Uh, if it comes to you, there's no reason to not set it down for future use. The point is to not do extra work. Having ideas out of the blue, that's not extra work. Don't stifle your imagination on account of, you know, whatever rules I set down here. It's about efficiency, that's all. And the more efficient you are as a GM, the more time you'll have to play rather than to plan. Now here's a selection of your comments from our inaugural episode let's roll uh, episode one was about savage worlds ever night what did you have to say well brian linton says he's a devotee of tabletop rpgs and he loves the idea of this show great thank you he says over the years i've collected source books for several different game systems i hear you brother but have rarely had the chance to play any of them same 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 being able to listen to stories of other people's gaming experiences helps to scratch that itch it's also a great opportunity to learn about new games. I've heard of Savage Worlds before, but I've never taken a close look at it. It was interesting to learn about some of the game's more unique features. Finally, I have to say that the story of your Evernight campaign illustrates what a gaming group can do when the players and Game Master trust each other. You can go places and do things, from hoarding magic items to staging grand sacrificial deaths that would never fly in a more casual pickup game. I don't know how often these episodes will come out, but I'm already looking Looking forward to the next one. Well, here's another one already, a month from the first. I'm, I'm thinking maybe bi-monthly if we can do it. 
Ryan Daly says despite having no experience with this game, only familiarity with tabletop RPG systems and group dynamics, this was a really fun episode to listen to. Hopefully, we get more of these. Lizanne Oswald says impressive podcast. Haven't played this RPG, but it sounds cool. She says she played D&D all the way up to 4th edition, uh, but that was about it. And is now interested in maybe looking into Savage Worlds. Bradley Null says, great show, and uh, suggests the Masks RPG. Bradley, while I appreciate the recommendation, I know that's a superhero game, and I think we, we talked about superhero gaming a lot in Hero Points. You know, the originator show did this one. So, but in any case, I, you know, I've never played it. So the focus of this show is looking at games that I have played or that I at least own with people who have played it. <laughs> so there is a superhero game in our future. I can't say much more than that now, but uh, of course my focus will generally be different and I'm sure you understand. Once again, I thank Dan and uh, Bert for uh, talking about GURPS Old West with me. Folks, the Fire and Water Podcast Network has a Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. If you like this content, want more like it, think about leaving a one-time or monthly donation. Let me also remind you that you too can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com on the Fire and Water Facebook page, on Twitter, where we are, fwpodcast, and you can also follow the show on Spotify on the FW Presents feed. So, until next time, let's roll. Depuis que tu es parti, mon cœur est tout petit, il se sent pas bien de ta grande main. Depuis que tu es plus là, je suis raplapla, jusqu'à mes bouclettes qui tiennent plus sur ma tête. Reviens, beau cowboy, reviens par ici, amour qui galope est toujours mal assis. Reviens, beau cowboy, sans toi je m'ennuie. Mon âme t'appelle et pour toi c'est gratuit. 